Hope you guys have had a good first week to 2024, but glad that you are here with us uh, this morning. And as we're getting settled and, and, and getting started, I'm going to thank Josh for covering for me. Uh, last Sunday, we, we were in Kansas City at, at Mission Focus and visiting family and that sort of thing. So we had an opportunity to listen to it when we were driving, we were driving back. And so um, it, was a, it was great. It was a great uh, ending sermon to the year. So I'm appreciative of that. Mission Focus was good, just as an FYI, just a very, you know, quick update. We had a, a, a small group there, probably a dozen or 15 FBC folks uh, there this year, and it's always, um, it's always a worthwhile endeavor. It's a worthwhile trip, and, and um, so we, there's good teaching, and there's good fellowship, and, and it, was a good, it was a good week. So thanks if you happen to be praying for us while we were gone. Thank you, thank you for that. It, it, it's, it's always good to and to see family and that sort of thing, but it's always, um, it's always good to be home. That, you know, that, that old adage is certainly true that there's no place like home and, and there's no place like First Baptist Church. And so we're, we're, we're glad to be back and, and we always miss you guys when we're gone. Also, just glad to be getting back into our normal routine. You know, there's holidays and, and those sorts of things bring a lot of great times, great times with friends, great times with family. Um, but I'm also a guy that enjoys uh, routine and I'm glad to be getting back uh, into everything that we're doing with life groups starting back up, 9 a.m. starting back up, uh, that sort of thing. And also prayer, prayer tonight. So you heard that announcement, man, I, 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 I just, uh, I hope you come back. I hope you come back and, and understand the importance of what those prayer nights um, really are for us and, and, and how they are going to propel us forward this year, how they are key to everything that we're doing. And, and I want to really talk about that um, this morning and, and over these next couple weeks, as we kick off this new year of 2024, as crazy as that sounds, I'm going to take a, a I think I, I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, but take a short break from our series going through the book of Acts. We'll get back into it here in, here in a few weeks. We'll, we're, we're through chapter 9. We'll get back into chapter 10. That's a great chapter. I look forward to that. But, but we're going to take a break here at the beginning because I, I believe... Um, and I know, I know a lot of pastors say these sorts of like pastor talk that I'm about to say, but I believe it with all my heart. And I know they do too when they say it. Um, I believe this 2024 is a significant year for us as a church. I think we're at a, I think we're at a critical juncture in a, in a positive way. So I want to take the time to lay out, um, first of all, where, where I think we're at as a church and then really in more detail uh, with respect to where we're going. And, and, and with respect to, to where we're at, you know, that, that won't take long. Um, I, think we're in a, I think we're in a very good spot. And I think we're on the verge of some really good things, of God using us uh, in, in, in even new ways for his glory. And I do, I believe that, I feel it, I believe it with all my heart, that we're on the verge of some supernatural growth in, in 2024. And that's exciting. It's exciting to me. Hopefully it's exciting to you. You may not see it in the same way that I see it. You may not, you know, feel it the, the same way that I feel it. It's okay. I, I trust that, you know, I trust the Lord will get you there. Um, but so it's very, it's very exciting. I think we're in a very exciting time. It also, um, it isn't and it won't go unnoticed by our enemy. So, so here's what we need to understand as, as we move into this new year. While we may be on the verge of something exciting happening, that does not mean it will automatically happen. We can't just assume supernatural growth into existence. And, and if we are not the right church, why would God trust us with that? But what we absolutely can do and, and what we are responsible for doing is to foster the proper environment for it to occur. So I think if we handle things the way that God expects us to handle them, if we handle them correctly, I do think 2024 is going to be a year of growth. That's our theme for this kind of short four-week series, the title of this uh, four-week series that we're looking at. And so, and so growth is what I want you to expect and what I want you to trust the Lord for. It's what I want you to be, start praying about. We'll be praying about it tonight. 
as we come back and be excited about, feel the excitement of what God's doing. But listen, I, I, I've said this all the time, certainly a lot lately. When I talk about growth, I'm not, I'm not talking about numbers, right? So we have guys here, they're, they're counting. They're counting now to, to tell, tell us how many of you are in here. That's not, that's not what I'm talking about when we're talking about growth. I'm not focused on attendance. I'm not focused on offerings. We're not concerned at that level with nickels and noses and with members and with money. I'm, I'm focused on qualitative growth more than quantitative growth. And it's not that those things aren't important. We count. We do see how many people are here. It's not that those things aren't important. They are important. They just can't be the focus. Because if we focus on how we can get more people in, then we run the risk of, of doing things in an unbiblical way just for the sake of, of, of more numbers. That, that can never be our focus because it's not where the Bible focuses when it comes to growth. And, and what I know is all that stuff, attendance, offerings, all that stuff will take care of itself. All that will sort itself out if we're focused where we need to be focused, if we're disciplined and focused in the right area. So I want to take the time over these next four Sundays and show you the areas in which I believe we need to grow. Um, our areas of focus uh, for 2024. And so, so, so these are, are really important things. So we're going to take the next four weeks and we're going to look at our, our need to grow in leaders. That's what we're going to be talking about today. Our need to grow in leaders. We're going to talk about our need to grow in laborers. We're going to need to grow in in our listening, I'll explain that, I'll explain that to you in a, in a couple of weeks. And then we need to grow in our like-mindedness. And that's the four areas we're going to focus on. So that means we need many of you to take the next step so that you'll eventually be ready to lead and to go if that's what God calls. And then we need those to come behind and be more involved because there's more to do and there's going to be more to do this year. But we need to do everything with integrity and character. We really need to listen to what God says about how he desires things to be done. And we're going to break that down, how we can truly honor the Lord. And the result of all that will be an unparalleled unity and like minding us together in the mission that will be really exciting to be a part of. And I believe that's where we need to focus our growth this year. So like I said, we're going to take these next four Sundays each Sunday in January, and focus on each one of those areas individually. Ending with our like-mindedness, we'll be doing Lord's Supper um, on that day as well, the, the end of, uh, so I say love there, I'm, I switch it up a little bit to, to listening, just, it's fine, it's the same, I'll, I'll, I'll make it all make sense um, <laughs> in a couple weeks. Uh, but start, starting today, we're going we're gonna to focus on growing leaders. See, one of the things that we always want to be doing around here is training leaders. It's what our path of growth is about. It's the last step in the path. It's why we have a curriculum that includes personal discipleship and ministry tools and training and Living Faith Bible Institute. All with the primary goal, there are, there are multiple goals of that, but with a, a primary goal of training and equipping Upcoming leaders. So as pastors, I, I just want you to know here from the beginning, as, as pastors, our desire is to be leaders of leaders, not just leaders of followers. Right? It's easy to be a leader of a follower if, if people are willing to follow you at least. It's more difficult at some level to be leaders of leaders because leaders are leaders. <laughs> they don't always like to be led. But, but that's how we have, there's a healthy tension in that. And so we want to be leaders of leaders so that you can be leaders of followers. And, 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 and this will work together in a, in a synergistic way. There will be synergy there that will propel us forward in the ministry. And that's not just because we think it's a good idea or it's just something cool to do. It's because that's the model that Jesus set. Jesus wasn't just a leader of followers. He certainly was that, but he was much more than that. He was a leader of leaders. 
you know, when Jesus came to this earth, lived those 33 and a half years on this earth, you know, he, he, had, he had a very important mission, obviously. And he came to die for us. He came to die for the sins of this world, for you and me. But that wasn't the only reason he came. He had other work to do, including the training of 12 leaders so that they could be witnesses of him when he was gone. You know, many of you know this, but before his death on the cross, before he had gone to the cross, Jesus prayed to his Father in John 17, 4, and said, I've glorified thee on earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. Right? He hadn't gone to the cross yet, but he had finished the work. God gave him a work to do. And, and, and what was that work? He's obviously not talking about the work of the cross. That was to come later. He also said in John 19, 30, when he was on the cross, that it was finished. He finished that work too. But this work was to train men. John 17, 6, just two verses later, I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them to me, and they have kept thy word. So training leaders is a biblical model. It's a biblical mandate. And so we set out a plan to do it. We work hard at it. And the truth is that's, that's not the case everywhere. There, there are some people, there are some pastors that are threatened by that. And, and, and we're not. I'm certainly not because we understand that this work and that this church is not about us. And it's not only about here. It's about the Lord and it's about New Philadelphia, Ohio to the world. Right? We certainly want to reach our community. If, if we neglect that, then we, we neglect the main thing that God's given us, right? He's placed us here for a reason. But we do have a vision that is larger than that because that's the vision the Bible prescribes. That's why we're actively involved in Columbus and Hungary and Albania and many other places around the world through other missionaries. But for us to do what God is calling us to do in New Philadelphia and Hungary or wherever is next... We need more leaders, and we need deeper leaders. We need more of you willing to grow this year and to stretch yourself in maybe ways you haven't before. And, and maybe you don't become a leader this year, but it's time to start the path. It's time to start growing today. And I know, I already know what you're thinking. There are a lot of people, if you're, maybe you've shut me off, but if you're listening to me, there are some of you that are saying, I don't, I don't desire that. Like, I don't, I don't want to be a leader. I, just want, I want to do my thing. Listen, I love this church. I want to participate. I want to give. I want to be a part of it. I'm, I love it. I'm happy, but I don't want to lead. I don't want to lead anything. And for those of you thinking that way, look, I just want you to reframe your perspective. I want to challenge that thought process for a second, and I want to help you reframe your perspective just a little bit. Because, because listen, at a, at a minimum, at a minimum, you're leading yourself. Right? You're leading yourself in your walk and the decisions you're making. You, you are responsible for you, and you're responsible for your own decisions. So we all need to have a mentality, at least personally, of growing in how we lead ourselves, but likely your leadership responsibilities extend beyond even yourself, right? Certainly that's true for mothers and fathers and grandparents, but listen, that's also true for spiritually mature adults that young people look at, whether you know it or not, that you could invest in and that need you to invest in them. See, leadership opportunities are way more available than you may think. Because it's not just leading a ministry or leading a church plant. No, it's, it goes way deeper than that. And we need more godly men leading their families. We need more godly women raising children. We need more godly adults willing to invest in the next generation of people. This principle applies across the board. So, so I, I want to challenge your thinking there. I also want you to check your perspe perspective with respect to just simply not allowing yourself to limit God in your life. 
right? I just want you to think for a second, maybe, maybe, just maybe, God wants to use you in a way that you might not necessarily even want to be used. You know, one of the things that blows my mind, I've, I've talked about this before, but one of the things that blows my mind is that an almighty, sovereign God allows himself to be limited by our free will. So speaking of the nation of Israel, Psalm 78, verse 41 says, Yea, they turned back, talking about Israel, they turned back and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. I mean, just, just think about that. Just How crazy is that? That God allows himself to be limited in the nation of Israel's life. He allows himself to be limited in our life. And that verse is not saying that God's power is limited in any way. It never is. God's the same yesterday, today, and, and forever. His power is the same. His power is not limited. But he does allow us to limit his work in our life when we don't trust him, when we don't follow him, when we don't obey him, when we're not just willing to cling to him. So I want to encourage you this morning to not do that. To, to, as you enter 2024, I want to encourage you to not limit what God wants to do in your life this year. You may not know how God wants to use you in 2024. And maybe, just maybe, he wants to use you in ways that you could never even imagine. So all I'm saying, as, as we enter into this year, I want you to be open to that possibility. Because listen, when it comes to biblical leadership, and, and how we need to grow our upcoming leaders, you, you need to know that as, a, as, a, as an upcoming leader, it does not take some special sort of Christian. It doesn't take that. It doesn't take special intellect. It doesn't take special talent. And I put this next sentence on, on your outline sheet. Here's, here's the, the main thing it takes. Biblical leadership just takes the right drive. And I'm going to explain that. I'm going to explain that to you today. I'm going to show you, I'm going to prove that truth to you in scripture. Biblical leadership just takes the right drive. And I want to show that to you from maybe the, the best example of a leader or one of the best examples of a leader in the Bible, and that's David. Right? We learned about David and some of his leadership characteristics and qualities last Sunday. And as we heard then, David wasn't anything super special. He was a shepherd. When God was making a change in king for the nation of Israel from, from Saul, at least on the physical side, David was not the obvious choice for king or, or leadership of any kind for that matter. But he absolutely was the right one. Even in a time when he didn't even know it. Because he was the right person and he had the right drive. And I want to show you this drive from Psalm 78. We just read verse 41 of that chapter. But we're going to spend the next part of our time at the end of, at end of this chapter and look at the characteristics of a type of leader FBC needs in 2024. The, the, we're going to see the drive of a biblical leader. So if you haven't turned there yet, you can be turned there with me. Psalm 78. We're going to be looking at verses 70 through 72. And there we read, he chose David, speaking of the Lord, of course. He chose David, also his servant, took him from the sheepfolds, from following the ewes, great with young. He brought him to feed Jacob his people and Israel his inheritance. So he fed them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them by the skillfulness of his hands. Now before we get into this, let's go ahead and open up in a word of prayer and ask God to use this time in our life. Dear Lord, Lord, we're so thankful for, for all that a new year brings. We're so thankful for um, just while in, in one sense there's nothing special about you know, the, the flipping of a calendar. Um, and on the other side, it's a new opportunity, as is each morning, Lord, just to seek you, to seek your way in our life. And so, Lord, I pray that, that we do that. Um, we do that in a way that's honoring to you. And so, Lord, I pray that as we kick off this new year in, in these services, Lord, that you, that you lead them, that you guide them, Lord, that what is said is true to your word, that you challenge each and every one of us where we need to be challenged, to consider what is in front of us and, and how we can serve you um, in a way that, that you deserve. And so, 
So, Lord, we just love you. Pray that you be with us through the rest of this service, and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Psalm 78, we're not, we're not going to take the time to, to kind of go through all the details, but it's a, it is a super interesting chapter in, in the Bible. It's one of the three primary Old Testament passages that, that recaps a large portion of the history of Israel. I think Craig actually preached this passage not that long ago um, and, and talked, talked about that. But Psalm 78, it spans Israel's history from Exodus chapter 7 to 2 Samuel chapter 10. And there's great prophecy in there, um, including verses 65 through 72. But what we just read is part of a great prophetic passage on the second coming of Christ. Um, and, and we're not going to take the time to look at all that. But if you're interested, if you start back in verse 65, there's really great prophecy in there on the second coming. But as many of us in here know, there are three applications to Scripture. So there's the doctrinal, the prophetic application, right? That's the future. There's a historical application, or, or that's the past. And then there's an inspiration or devotional application for what the Scripture means for you and me today. And historically, so prophetically, we're looking at the second coming in this passage. Historically, Psalm 78, verses 70 through 72, talks about God making David king over Israel. And there's much that we can learn from this history about the type of leaders that we need to grow at FBC today, even in these three short verses. Because like I said, we see what drives David in these verses. And what drives David needs to drive us. It needs to drive our leaders if we are going to grow in this area in 2024. And here's where it starts. At FBC, we need leaders who are purpose-driven. This is the drive. I'm defining for you the drive of a leader. We need leaders who are purpose-driven. And purpose-driven was a phrase, you know, made popular a number of years ago by Pastor Rick Warren, Saddleback Church out in, in California. And, and he wrote the books, many of you know them, Purpose Driven Life and Purpose Driven Church. And that's, that's all fine. But when I say purpose-driven, I'm not exactly using that phrase in the same way um, that Rick Warren did. So I don't want you to be confused by that. And what I mean when I say FBC leaders need to be purpose-driven is we need leaders that understand life is about the mission. All right, that we understand that life is about the mission, that, that God's mission is, is, listen to me, is the purpose of life. Not a purpose, not part of our purpose. It's the purpose of life. And because of that, leaders who understand that, because of that, they are willing to give themselves to something that is so much bigger than just themselves. And it is so much bigger than their own dreams and desires and aspirations, and maybe even bigger than their own self-confidence. You see, what is pushed by this world is that we are to live our lives for ourselves. That you should go get all you can and go live your dreams that this life is about you. And listen, that's very easy to accept. It's very easy to agree with. And it's very easy to live our life that way. The problem is that philosophy flies directly in the face of biblical truth. And you have, to, you have to address that at some point. So we must have leaders around here that understand fully what life is really about. Because if not, we, we just run the risk, as a church, we run the risk of just, of just playing, of not being serious, not being purpose-driven, but just kind of play in church. And just holding services. And, and it's something that's part of our schedule. And so we get together and we hold a service once a week and once a month we'll come back on Sunday nights and then we'll even, we'll even for the real godly of us in here, we'll even show up on Wednesday night. And we enjoy each other's company. 
and it's a good time, and, 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 and we feel a connection, and, and we feel a family, and we're doing nothing. Nothing. Nothing for the kingdom's sake. We're doing something for us because we feel good about this. And so we come to church and ask ourselves, man, what can I get out of this? Instead of asking ourselves, what can I give to the Lord? How can I live my life in a way that's glorifying to him? And so, so you know, the, our mindset has to become, listen, these, these times, our Sunday morning is so important. Wednesday night is so important. Prayer nights are so important. Because, because they're the time that we come together to mobilize so that then we can go get the work done. Right? This, is, this is training. That's why, you know, um, there, there are a few exceptions. So the way I preach on Sunday morning, by and large, isn't super evangelistic, right? I mean, I, I certainly will give an invitation at the end, and, and, and I, I'll always try to point to the gospel. We're always preaching Christ according to the word of God. But, but my focus is I'm just not preaching a gospel message every Sunday. Because that's, that, that's our job to do in the world. And what we do through ministry through this church, what, what we do in here is, is equipping, right? That's the Ephesians 4 model of the church. We come to get equipped. So, so, so do you come with that mindset? When you show up on Sunday morning, are you showing up thinking, okay, listen, I need to hear from the Lord today because I need to be equipped to go do the work. Is, is that the mindset? That's, that is the mindset that we need to. But so many times we don't do that. We just do stuff for the sake of doing stuff without any real purpose. And that won't facilitate growth. See, we need to be leaders who are mission-minded, fully persuaded. Because that makes you like Jesus, first of all. And listen, this applies to everyone because Jesus was mission-minded even as a youth. So that means you guys can do it. You can be mission-minded as well. It might look a little different than how it is for adults, but we can all be mission-minded. In Luke chapter 2, Jesus was 12 years old. His family had come to Jerusalem for the Passover feast, and he slipped away to the temple as his family was heading back to Nazareth, and they came to look for him, and, and, and they find him in the temple. And look at Mary's reaction in Luke 2.48. And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. They had lost him, and they're, they're sad, and they're sorrowing. Why? He's like, why did you do this to us? But look at his response, which is just cold-blooded from a 12-year-old. So, I mean, like, <laughs> but anyway, I, yeah. you guys aren't Jesus, so don't talk to your parents <laughs> in disrespectful ways. But uh, verse 49, he said unto them, how is it that you sought me? Wish ye not that I must be about my father's business? And, and when he said, how is it that you sought me, what he's saying is, you should have known where to find me. Where, where were you looking? Where did you think I would be? Because i got to be about my father's business. And he knew his purpose, and, and that was true from the early stages of his life to the end of his life, the night before he went to the cross in Luke twenty two forty two. 42. He asked his father if he would remove the cup, and he said, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. You see, Jesus' entire life, it was about his father's business and his father's will. And, and, and we just need to ask ourselves, can the same be said of us? And maybe it can't be said of everyone, but it needs to be said of our leaders. And listen, I get it that, that the comparison to Jesus is a tough one. But it's not something we only see in Jesus. We see it with man after man after man in the Bible. It's full of biblical characters who saw it the exact same way. This is what we see with David here in Psalm 72. Look again at verses 70 and 71. He chose David, also his servant, and took him from the sheepfolds, from following the ewes, great with young. He brought him to feed Jacob his people and Israel his inheritance. You see, before David became king... He was described as God's servant, his servant. 
That means even before, even from when, when David was, was just tending the sheep, his life wasn't about his own desires. It was about his master's desires. It's what made him a servant. And for David, he received fulfillment in life from serving the Lord. That's how he received fulfillment in life, from serving the Lord, not from self-gratification. He was about fulfilling the Lord's desires. And you see that, you know, that's not necessarily in Psalm 78, but you see it all over everywhere else in David's writings. For example, Psalm 63, this is of David, verses 1 and 2, he says, O God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee, my soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is to see thy power and thy glory. So as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. That was what drove David. When we talk about the right drive of a leader, it was to serve the Lord. It was to be with the Lord. It was to see his power and his glory work through him. That's what drove him. His life was about so much more than just himself. That attitude, that posture of life was what propelled him into leadership. And listen, it was quite a jump from an unassuming shepherd to be anointed king. Now, I get it. It, it took some years before he actually became king. But the anointing happened right away. From an unassuming shepherd to being anointed king. I mean, talk about feeling unqualified. But that's why you should never limit God in your life. Because you never know what he wants to do in and through you. If you're just a willing vessel. And, and even be willing to do the unthinkable and the unimaginable. Why not? If not us, then who? Who's, who's God going to use to reach New Philadelphia, Ohio? If not us, who? Do we want to farm that out? I don't. I want him to use us. I want him to use us to go across the world. Why won't he? He will if we'll be willing, if we'll do it the right way. We have the same Holy Spirit in us that was inside Paul. And listen to what he said about the mission that God gave to him and Barnabas. Acts 13, 47. For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be the light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. Listen, I get it. It was a different time. I get it. Paul was a, a, a special character. But it's the same Holy Spirit and it's the same mission. It just started with him, but it continues with us. Think about that for a second. That's a big job. But Paul was willing to trust God enough that he was just bold enough and crazy enough that he thought it could be done. And guess what? They did it. They turned the world upside down. That is the testimony of Paul and, the, and even the early apostles. Acts 17, 6. That is, that is the testimony of them. That they turned the world upside down. Man, I, I, I just want something like that to be said of us. We turned this community upside down. That we turned this world upside down. Why don't we think like that? So let me ask you, when it comes to leadership in your life and in ministry, how much are you trusting God for? How far do you think God can take you? How much do you think he can use you? Is there a limit? Have you limited the Holy One of Israel? This is an area we need to grow in. And trust the Lord for big things. Because if you're truly biblically purpose-driven and just bold enough to believe the Lord and to believe this book and trust that everything it says is true, and then you put it to work in your life, if you just do that, there is no telling what kind of impact you can have in your home, 
at your school, at your job, in this community, and even around the world. There's no telling. God, it's, it's, it's not us. We're just a vessel. Listen, the power is in the Holy Spirit. The power is in this book. Man, if we believe it, if we believe it's true, who else believes that they have a preserved, whole, perfect word of God? Who else believes it? If not us, then who? Who's going to do it? Why can't God use you to be the next missionary sent out of First Baptist Church? Can you trust him for that? You can if you're purpose-driven and not self-driven. So that's where it starts. It's how biblical leaders need to view life. But it doesn't stop there. Being purpose-driven alone isn't enough for biblical leadership. So secondly, we need leaders who are principle-driven. We need leaders who are principle-driven. So listen, these are people who are driven by biblical principles and not just information or ability. They're driven by biblical principles. So by this, I mean FBC leaders need to have the right character and the right heart. The right character and the right heart. That's what we see with David's leadership. It's because David had the attitude of a servant. And he knew the purpose of life. That's why God called him to be the leader and to feed the people God had trusted him with, the nation of Israel. And David obeyed. He did exactly what God asked. And look at how that feeding, that oversight is described in Psalm 78, 72. So he fed them according to the integrity of his heart. And guided them by the skillfulness of his hands. You see, his leadership flowed out of the integrity of his heart. So here's the next next bullet on on your outline. Being principle-driven is a heart issue and not a head issue. It's a heart issue and not a head issue. And I'll I'll just be honest with you. this, This right here is a danger for us. This is a danger for First Baptist Church. Because the truth is, we teach the Bible pretty well around here. No, we don't pretend to have a corner on the market, but we also do have a pretty good handle on what the Bible has to say, how to study it, how to divide it, those sorts of things. And listen, I do not say that arrogantly. In fact, I say it with some fear and trepidation. But I, but I say it because it's true. And since we, as, as pastors, know the Bible pretty well, then many of you in here also know the Bible pretty well. It's our great privilege to teach you what we know and and how we study and and all that sort of thing. And so so you've learned that. We've taught you and you've learned on your own how how to study the Bible. and, and, And listen, hopefully to the point that your knowledge can even surpass ours. That that doesn't threaten me at all. I would be thrilled with that. But because we have such a strong tradition and a strong focus on learning and teaching God's word, which we should and which we will not change from, the the risk of that is that gaining head knowledge before you're really able to handle it, there's some danger in that. So for us, for First Baptist Church, pride and a general arrogance is our risk. So, so this is, we're always at risk for raising up leaders who, who know a lot about the Bible, but do not have the integrity of heart like David. And that's what David, you, you need to listen to these words. You need to look at how the very specific individual words of Scripture. Because that's what David fed Israel according to. You'd think it'd be he would feed Israel according to his knowledge. Right? He, he would give them what he knows about the word of God. And of course he did that, but that's not what, said, that's not what was said of him. He said he fed them according to the integrity of his heart. And this is something that we cannot miss. So I'm interested in FBC leaders having the right heart even before I care about what they know about the Bible. Listen, there has to be both. We'll talk about that. There was the, he had the skillfulness of his hands. So that has to be both. You, you can't be a leader if you don't know anything about the Bible. But it has to start with character. 
has to start with integrity. It has to start with the right heart. And I say that because if you have the right heart, your attitude towards the Bible will take care of itself. Your willingness to spend time in it and to learn it will take care of itself. That's why Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. So listen, I can teach you the Bible, Jeff can teach you the Bible, but we can't teach you how to have integrity. We can show you, we can model it for you, but we cannot produce it within you. There's something that you have to decide on your own. But we need all of our leaders to grow in this area. This may be the most important thing for me this year. To be like David in the integrity of our heart. And to be men and women after God's own heart. That is what is said of David in, in 1 Samuel 13, 14 and Acts 13, 22. And, and listen, David was not a perfect man, right? He had some pretty significant, you know, mess-ups in his life. But the thing that, that kept him moving forward was that he was a man after God's own heart. Because he had God's heart. That was his desire. That heart's described further in verses like 1 Kings 9 and verse 4. It says, if thou wilt walk before me as David thy father walked in integrity of heart and in uprightness to do according to all that I have commanded thee and will keep my statutes and my judgments. So David's heart was upright or righteous because he obeyed the Bible. He obeyed God's word, right? You see a great definition of integrity of the heart and a man after God's own heart when David wrote the 101st Psalm. This is so fitting for us even today. Listen to what he said in this chapter. It's just eight verses. But Psalm 101, verse 1, he says, I will sing of mercy and judgment unto thee, O Lord, will I sing. I will behave myself wisely in a perfect way. O when wilt thou come unto me? I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. All right, so this is David speaking. Okay, David, saying you're going to walk into God's house with a perfect heart. Well, What's that perfect heart look like? What does that heart with integrity look like? The type of heart that God is looking for in a man or woman. So, especially all you developing leaders, you need to listen up. Verse 3. I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside to not cleave to me. Man, what, what a verse that hits our world today. Even some 3,000 years after it was written. And David had some experience in what he put before his eyes that messed him up and, and that attacked his own personal integrity. And so he says, I'm not doing that again. I'm not going down that road. And, and certainly for our young, this is for everybody, but certainly for our young men, this is an issue by what we put before our eyes. So leaders, what is it that you put before your eyes? And when I say leaders, I'm talking about fathers, I'm talking about husbands, what are you putting before your eyes? We need to grow in this area and move past wickedness and put godly things in its place. He said, I hate the work of them that turn aside, right? So you, you, can, you can, like Psalm, we won't go there, but Psalm 40 verse 4 is a good cross-reference for you if you want to write that down. And, and, and the, just, it's, it's what David did when he looked at Bathsheba, right? He lost his focus and he turned aside to look at something he shouldn't have been looking at. And so, and there's, it goes deeper than that. But, but what happens is when we're not focused, when we're not principle-driven and we allow our integrity to slip, all of a sudden, man, we're not, we're not man, we don't have tunnel vision. We're not purpose-driven. We're not seeing what we need to see. And, and what we're doing is we're going through life and we're looking here and we're looking there and we're turning back a little bit and we're turning aside. Don't do that. Stop it. You know, that, that, I, don't, I don't know what else to say. David said, I'll set no wicked thing before my eyes. I hate the work 
of them that turn aside. Man, learn to hate it. Learn to hate that turning aside and losing your focus. It shall not cleave to me. Galatians 4.9. I don't have time, but Galatians 4.9 is another good cross-reference for you. Okay, what else? What else, David? Verse 4. Verse 4 says, A froward heart shall depart from me. I will not know a wicked person. Whoso privily slandereth his neighbor, him will I cut off. Him that hath a high look and a proud heart, will I not suffer? All right, well, here we go again. He, he, he's saying, he's defining all this as, as, as a wicked, as wickedness and a wicked person. And a perfect heart doesn't slander his neighbor. And slander means to falsely accuse or to develop evil surmisings about someone. And it's, it's, it's wickedness. We can't have that from our leaders. Like we'll talk about like-mindedness and unity when we get to the end. But we can't have that from our leaders. And it's wickedness because it's satanic. Satan is the accuser of the brethren. We shouldn't be. Nor can we have leaders with a high look and a proud heart. God hates this according to Proverbs chapter 6. So we need humble leaders. It's the principle you need to understand. That's having integrity. God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. And if God is resisting you, then he, listen, he's resisting all of us at some level. Especially our leaders, because we're in this together. Let's keep going. Verse 6. Mine eyes shall be upon the faithful of the land. Right? That's, that, that's our focus. Being faithful in the land that God's given us. That they may dwell with me. He that walketh in a perfect way, he shall serve me. And we understand our purpose. We're to serve the Lord. Verse 7. He that worketh deceit shall not dwell within my house. He that telleth lies shall not tarry in my sight. I will early destroy all the wicked of the land. Again, this is all wickedness that I may cut off all the wicked doers from the city of the Lord. So we can't have liars as leaders because they don't have integrity. A lying tongue also makes the list of things that God hates in Proverbs chapter 6. So we need to be principle driven. We need to be men and women of character, of virtue, with integrity of the heart. And then third, so we need to be purpose-driven, we need to be principle-driven. And third, we need leaders who are proactively driven. Proactively driven. Who are proactive to step up. Who are proactive to see a need to fill it. <coughs> so these are leaders who are driven to take action that is above and beyond what is asked of them. So above and beyond, is, is, is I put on your outline sheet there. These are leaders that are driven to take action that is above and beyond what's asked of them. And that's exactly what we see with David. Look at verses 71 and 72. One more time. David was called for following the ewes. Great with young, he, he brought him to feed Jacob his people and Israel his inheritance. So he fed them according to the integrity of heart and guided them by the skillfulness of his hands. Okay, now this is a nuanced point. But the Bible says that God asked David to feed his people. And David obeyed. He fed them according to the integrity of his heart. But he didn't let that be enough. He didn't stop there. He also guided them by the skillfulness of his hands. You see, David went over and above what was even asked of him. So not only did he have the right heart, he had the right hands. He put in the work to prepare himself to be able to, to skillfully guide them. Right? He was, he was purpose-driven he was principle-driven, he had character, but then he was also a man of work, and he was skillful. And, and a lot of that was God-given, but a lot of that was him just willing to get in and proactively go above and beyond and prepare his hands for the work. And he prepared himself, and he was proactive to perform it. And this is such a great characteristic of a leader. Uh, it's, it's important enough I put it in, on your outline sheet. It is someone who is willing to see a need and offer to fill it. To work on their own if they, if they have to. Listen, there are so many people out there who are just waiting for someone to tell them what to do. And they say that they want to minister, but it's like they're waiting for a ministry to be handed to them. 
that's just, I'm sorry, but it's just not how it works. We want to see you getting involved and working under someone, submitting yourself as a servant. Just waiting and expecting something to be handed to you is not what we need from our leaders. We need you to grow in this area of being proactive, being willing to work, being willing to get your hands dirty and get involved. And the, 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 the bottom line is that's how God made us. God made us to be proactive on behalf of the Lord. It goes all the way back to creation, right? Genesis 2.15, the Lord gave before sin and before Eve, he gave the man a job and put him in the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And listen, as far as we know from Scripture, that's all the instruction he gave him. And Adam wasn't waiting for more. He just got to work. And sometimes that's what it takes, just a willingness to get to work. And once you start working, people start noticing. And the Lord starts helping you figure things out along the way. But that won't happen until you get going. And the principle starts even before Adam. And I say that because even in the opening passage of the Bible, we see God as a worker, busy with the creation of the world, right? He worked for six days, he rested on the seventh. So this reveals that God was the first to do work on the earth. Therefore, legitimate work reflects the activity of God. It's like, you know, because of the curse, because of the curse that comes with sin, you know, work, it's hard, it's toil. But, but listen, it's what God created us to do. And legitimate work reflects the activity of God. So it's absolutely part of being godly and being a leader. We were created to proactively work, proactively serve him. And this isn't just physical, it's spiritual as well. I think we all know that. We understand our spiritual mission today involves work and involves service. The Great Commission is not about sitting on our hands and waiting for people to come to us, right? You know the words of it, right? Matthew 28, 19, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Ghost. Those are action words. The first word is go. And I'm sorry, but nowhere in the Bible do you see a true servant of the Lord being passive in the work of the Lord. So I, it's, 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 you know, I use it all the time. It's Genesis 47, 6. You know, I included it here again. That is, it's just one of my favorite verses in the Bible. And it's so meaningful, that phrase, men of activity. If you're looking for uh, men of activity, right? Because, you know, and you know the story by now. I've told it to you a, a dozen times. Joseph's trying to set up his brothers. He goes to Pharaoh. Can we, can we get them, you know, some, some work? And he's like, yeah, we need somebody to, to tend to the cattle. <laughs> but he didn't say, if you know anybody that has knowledge about cattle, if you didn't know, you know, smart, no. He said, if you know any men of activity, I love it. <laughs> and, and just so you know, just FYI, I've used this verse enough <laughs> that you should know by now that this is what I'm looking for. When we're talking about growing leaders and developing leaders, I'm looking for the biblical attribute of men of activity. And so we always constantly need to be asking ourselves, does that, does that define me? Am I a man of activity? Am I a woman of activity in a positive way about the Lord? Are you actively, even proactively, trying to live out the Great Commission? Because if you're not, then you probably don't have what it takes to be a leader. And again, this is not about going rogue and just going doing things outside of the structure of the church and just going crazy. But there's a difference between going rogue and, and being proactive and offering to fill something, those sorts of things. But I'm just telling you, this is an area we need our leaders to grow in, to be prepared for where God is taking us. Because we're going to need more leaders. There will be more opportunities to serve this year. We're going to be talking about that in some specifics next Sunday. But we will need more people to step up and lead. We will need more people to be Willing to step up and lead through discipleship, to, to invest their life into someone else. Because if we're doing this right, more people are going to get saved, which means more people are going to need to be discipled. So there will be opportunities for more leaders, and we need deeper leaders. We need the right leaders. 
We won't have more unless we find ones that are purpose-driven, principle-driven, and proactively driven. We won't compromise on that. But this area of leadership is so important, and I know we're almost out of time, but I just have, I have one more thing to go through. The, we're, this area of, of, of getting leadership structure in place is so important that we're going to start the year by getting some key leaders in place. So, Because starting next week, we're going to do a new round of deacon nomination. So I, I mentioned this to you when we went through Acts chapter 6, right? We talked about those first four verses. I put that uh, on your outline sheet. Um, and we talked about doing that sometime in the new, near future. So we're, we're going to do it. We're going to start next Sunday. We'll give you all the details of what that looks like. But in Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, we see the first installment of deacon. Now, the, the word deacon isn't used there, but it's clear that it was the model that was established. And they are servants, just like David was. That's, that's what the word means. Our King James translators called them deacons in 1 Timothy chapter 3. And the deacons are necessary because of the priorities that we have as a church. So pastors give themselves to word and prayer, but other ministry has to get done. And people have to be cared for. And so the answer to that, you know, situation is, is more leaders and new leaders, others to share in the load. And so from a church structure standpoint, that begins with deacons. That's why we're going to begin this year with it. So let me give you a definition, and I put it on your outline sheet. Deacons serve the congregation physically. So the pastors are free to serve them spiritually. That's, in, 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 that's an overgeneralization because the deacons serve spiritually as well as they invest the word that's in them into others. It's not that they only serve physically and they don't serve spiritually, but there, but there is a structure that, that, that we establish. It's two groups of officers that form a team. And the pa pastors are commissioned officers who carry the weight of responsibility. The buck stops with us. And the deacons are, are non-commissioned officers charged with providing assistance. And they're the first to contribute. They're the first to be consulted. Um, they're administrators of the ministry. And so they don't necessarily have to be skillful in teaching, although many of them are. It's just not one of the requirements you see in 1 Timothy 3 like you do for pastors. They don't have to take full oversight. They're the under-shepherds. You know, we're the under-shepherd to Jesus, and they're the under-shepherds to us. But they do what's needed. And you need to know what they look like because we can't just entrust that job with anyone. We have to be, have men that are of honest report full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. That's what we saw in, in Acts chapter 6. Have a good testimony among the body. It's people that are purpose-driven, that are principle-driven, that are proactively driven. You see specific qualifications in 1 Timothy 3. I know I'm moving through this fast just for sake of time. We'll go through this more next Sunday. But 1 Timothy 3, let me read verses 8 through 13. Likewise, must, after giving a, a, a list of the qualifications of the bishops or the pastors, it says, Likewise, must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to, to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre, holding the mystery of faith and a pure conscience, and let these also first be proved, and let them use the office of a deacon being found blameless. Even so must their wives be grave, not slanderers, sober, faithful in all things. Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children in their own house as well. For they that have used the office of a deacon well purchase themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. You see, there's a spiritual urgency to these qualifications. They're character-based, and they're all related to having the drive of David in those three areas we discussed. And the establishment of deacons is why we're doing it at the beginning of this year. It's what facilitates growth in a church because that's the model we see from Acts chapter 6. Right where the this is where the ministry of the apostles expanded. I, I went through all that. You can go back and listen to that sermon if you're interested. But the apostles were kind of doing everything, and they got to the point to where they couldn't. And so the ministry expanded when they established deacons. That's that's our model. And so you know the apostles figured out their roles, and they called the disciples together and brought them into the process of nominating deacons who the apostles could appoint. And that's how we do it. We do it according to Acts chapter six. You'll nominate, again, we'll go through all this next Sunday. You'll nominate who you think ought to be deacons, people that are deaking. It's not a word, but, you know, we'll make it one. And then we select from that group, and we're going to start that process again next Sunday. Um, we, we went through this, but just so you know, and you guys don't have to stand up, but I'll tell you who our deacons are now. It's Kurt Barr, Rex Barr, Corey Burkall, Brenton Bonanno, Doug Burkhart, Jeff Gibbs, Joel Herman, Andrew Ireland, Doug Sammons, Rick Selhammer, Wayne Steed. Those are our current set of deacons, and these are good, spiritually-minded men who handle the business of the church, but they lead ministries too. 
right? They lead worship, they lead life groups, they lead our tech booth, they lead Extreme, they're Ignite counselors, they're finance committee members, they do so much around here. And that's who we're going to start with, um, are those men. So it allows us as pastors to give ourselves to, to what the, the Bible tells us to do. Um, and they're servants. But that's not a slight, because that's what we are too. That's what all of our leaders need to be. Uh, our servant leader. So prayerfully prepare yourself for our deacon installation process that begins next Sunday. Come prepared to nominate our new set of leaders to help us pastors lead the way that God wants us to. And, and so as we look to grow in 2024, this is where we have to start. We need the right leaders in place to facilitate all the growth that God has for us. But listen, the, the question we need to ask ourselves is are we ready for it? Are you ready to take the next step? Will you do what it takes? Are you ready to be a part of God taking us to new heights? I'm excited for this year and all that is before us. I'm excited for the right leadership to rise to the surface. And I'm excited for you to be a part of it. And I'm excited to do it with you.